Thank you for joining Africa.com's 12th webinar in the series Crisis Management for African Business Leaders. Please welcome Teresa Clark, Africa.com's Chair and CEO. Thank you for joining Africa.com's 12th webinar in the series Crisis Management for African Business Leaders. I'd like to start always by thanking our main sponsor, Standard Bank, who makes this series of webinars possible. We thank you for your collaboration and for your support. I'd also like to thank the faculty of Harvard Business School and Harvard Law School who work with us to deliver topical content with academic rigor. Next week, Professor Carolyn Elkins will lead a discussion with Dr. James Mwangi, and we will mention more on that later. For those of you joining us for the first time, we welcome you to this community of African business leaders from 123 countries around the world, including 46 countries on the continent. We've had a huge surge in registrants in advance of today's important discussion, and now we have approximately 25,000 registrants for this series. Our goal is to create dialogue and share knowledge and explore solutions that contribute to Africa's resilience and recovery from the current set of crises, both economic and humanitarian. On May 13th, we hosted our first session on women and COVID-19, and we were fortunate to have a large panel of leading women, including Pumzile Mlambo Ngunka, the head of the UN Women, and Sarah Kungunguewa, the Prime Minister of Namibia. We promised at the end of that session to carry the conversation forward and to return to you and to discuss specific recommendations on how to address the inequities of COVID-19 with regard to women. Today's speakers, Mrs. Grasa Michelle and Melinda Gates, have each recently published a letter or a paper on this very topic. And it is for this reason that we've invited them to discuss their policy recommendations with you today. Before we launch into the conversation, we would like to update our understanding of how you are thinking about this issue. On May 13th, we took a poll, and today we'll repeat those poll questions and see how views have evolved over these two months, which in COVID-19 is more like two years. To what degree do you agree with the following statement? African governments are taking women's issues into consideration as they develop policies to address COVID-19. Okay, I think that we're going to close that now. And so the results that we have today, we have um, in response to this question, we have about 18% believe that African governments are taking conditions into consideration. About 20% say that they are neither agree nor disagree. And about 62% of you think that African governments are not taking that into consideration. 62% of you disagree. We'd like to um, compare this to what we heard on May 13th from you. On May 13th, the numbers were a little bit different. It seems as if the view is moving towards the negative. Fewer of you agree with this statement today than you did on May 13th. Let's move to our second poll question. To what degree do you agree or disagree with this statement? I expect that one of the major shifts occurring as a result of the pandemic is that African women will gain ground in business and society. In the past, on May 13th, we had 44% agreeing with that particular view. And today, we've moved in the wrong direction on that as well. We find that there are far fewer people believing that African women are going to gain ground. Fewer people agree with this statement than they did in May. So thank you very much for that. We're going to move past the poll right now. We now have 30 minutes for today's webinar, so I'm going to just jump right in. The good news is that our speakers today need no introduction whatsoever. Both of these women are strong advocates for women's issues, and in the last many days, both have published their own calls to action 
with recommendations on how governments and private sector can adopt policies to not only address the inequities experienced by women in COVID-19, but interestingly, both women independently concluded their works with a view that if we manage the responses to these critical issues strategically, women could come out of this period of time having made important gains. Mrs. Michelle, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Mrs. Michelle, can you please tell us what inspired you to write your open letter on the impact of COVID-19 on African women, bold actions to mitigate and drive meaningful reconstruction efforts? When the outbreak of COVID crisis emerged, I realized that uh, public health measures which were being put in place were blind to the unique needs of uh, women, adolescents, girls, and the poor, especially in rural areas. So I thought the best way to fundament this would be to listen to voices of women themselves. So my trust convened four Pan-African webinars and 12 Instagram live conversations in which the intention was really to give space to women to voice out their challenges, their frustrations, but also their aspirations during these times of, uh, of, of crisis. I must say that I didn't pen this letter alone. I asked Ngozi Yewala, Dr. Vera Shongwe, and Maria Ramos as experts in finances to contribute to their thinking, to marry the experience of women we had consulted with the knowledge and the expertise and the experience of people who are at high level of uh, uh, public institutions. So, we realized that lockdowns were impacting in livelihoods of everyone, but particularly of women. Our economies in Africa are mostly informal, and that's where most of women are, and this is where they get their source of income to care for their families. The formal economy, women are presented in very small or medium enterprises. And they also felt the shocks of the pandemic, some of them closing, others struggling really to survive. So it was quite clear to me that the impact of COVID was disproportionately very heavy on women. So nothing more logic to say, if you have to have a proper response to this, and if you want to have any kind of a proper redesigning, I mean, the reconstruction, you have to bring these people to the center and listen to their voices and aspirations. Adding to this, the leadership of women has been proven to me the one which changes, I mean, the rules of the game. Women bring minds and hearts together. And because of that, we even realized recently that countries which are led by women did respond much better to the COVID uh, 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 crisis than countries led by men. So nothing more clear is evidence that the more we are in challenges, the better the time to bring women to the center stage and to have leadership 
female leadership to lead. So yes. that was the inspiration for us to, 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 to pen up this letter and to make this call. Well, Mrs. Michelle, in your letter, you made seven specific recommendations. Would you share with us what you consider to be the most two or three important of those recommendations? I must say that the seven recommendations are part and parcel of the same vision and the, the, the same approach. Not necessarily to say there are some which are more important than one, but for the sake of time, I will mention the the, the three, I believe, they are fundamental. That all responses must take into account a, generous, uh, a gendered uh, perspective and must be informed by the voices of women. If this fail, you have half of the earth population being out of this, this, this redesigning of responses and then we are due to, to fail. I also recommend, we recommend that the governments and development patterns must implement, I mean, gender sensitive economic policies and contribute to sharpen the capacity of women in their engineering capacity to help our economic, economic growth. And we also recommend that we need to go beyond just responses. But we need to take into account that uh, we do not have enough of information about how this impacts on women. We need data, but it has to be, I mean, gender sensitive gender, uh, I'm sorry, data, which will help them that the response is, uh, is, is also informed by the reality of what's going on on the ground. We mentioned in particularly also the issue of food security and nutrition. There's no rights you can implement without food. So we think being women, those who are mostly producers of food in Africa, they have to be specially supported to gain the capacity to respond for their families, but also for their nations and for the continent. All the others are equally important, but I believe I mean, you can share with the participants, but as I'm saying, they are all part of the same parcel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Melinda, we're going to turn to you. Um, let me ask you the same questions that I asked Mrs. Michelle. What inspired you to write your article on this very same topic? And please share with us not only your inspiration, but what you consider to be the two or three most important recommendations that you've made in this same area. Thank you, Teresa. And good to see Grass and Michelle again. It's been since last fall, which feels like a lifetime ago in South Africa since we've seen one another. Um, you know, I was inspired to write this paper because, you know, we are all living through this COVID pandemic all over the world, and it's wreaking um, havoc on not just our bodies and our health, but it's exposing the fault lines in society that have existed for so long. And like Mrs. Michelle, I'm hearing about the impact and where we have data, I'm seeing the impact on women. And so I highlighted in this paper that I did for Foreign Affairs really four key areas, and they, they mirror very closely what Mrs. Michelle and Ngozi and the others' paper says, which is we have to look at first women's health. 
If you go back to the time of the Ebola crisis in the four affected countries, there was a shadow pandemic that went right alongside Ebola. And that had to do with maternal mortality and infant and child deaths. We are already seeing this in the health systems and the countries most affected already by COVID-19. So we have to look, number one, at the health system. Number two, we have to look at the economics of how we help women build back and we build back better. Otherwise, what we know is they're being pushed out of the labor force. If it's in the formal economy and if it's the informal economy, they're working on so many other pieces at home, trying to put a meal on the table in so many places. Uh, for all the reasons Mrs. Michelle said, but also taking care of the elderly in their house, taking care of the kids. And so we have to look at how do we put women at the center? So, and there are things that they're very innovative things going on across the continent of Africa and many different countries to help women economically get back on their feet. Third thing is data. Without data, we can't make great policy decisions. Some of the countries that already had some of this data are being very smart about how they're doing government cash transfer payments directly into a woman's account because they know if it goes into a woman's account, it is spent on the family. Uh, so data is my third one. And then the fourth is women's leadership. And when I say leadership, I mean at grassroots level all the way to high level. Women have a lens on society that is just different, quite honestly, than most men, not all men. But when we connect these grassroots women's or men's organizations who are looking at the women's issues with high-level leadership and they have a seat at the table, you start to change and create different policies that benefit women and families. And so those four key areas, health, economics, data, and women's leadership are the four that I highlight in this particular piece. Thank you, Melinda. Um, let me ask you another question. Um, when you look across Africa, can you point out any particular governments or private sector players that you see taking specific actions to address gender equality in their early responses to the pandemic? Absolutely. The Ethiopian government, for instance, immediately saw that women were going to be more afraid, quite honestly, for good reason, to come into the health system. And so they immediately started putting out these home birth kits so that if you need to stay in your local area to give birth and you can't make it or you don't want to come into the health, the little health post, and you go to a midwife, you've got a clean, inexpensive birth kit to help cut the cord, keep, keep the woman safe, keep the area clean. That can make a huge difference. We're seeing in Kenya, they're doing some things, they're, both the government and its economic survey is specifically asking questions about women and we're seeing some of the mobile data um, offerings come out, have very much less expensive or even free at sometimes mobile data packets because we know there's a big gap. There's a gap, not just in phone ownership, but the bigger gap is do women have access to the internet? And so that's another one that I think um, is a great policy. The last one I'll just highlight is in Ghana. They're making sure that they're waiving utilities fees for women-led businesses. So if you have a small vegetable stand and you keep the light on you know, at night, um, they're waiving those fees. And I think that makes a huge difference for women-led businesses during this time. Um, Mrs. Michelle, we have a question for you and I'll ask the staff to bring in um, Obi. Um, we have a question from Obi Ezwekwesili. 
who is the co-founder of Hashtag Bring Back Our Girls, the effort that draw, drew attention to the 300 Nigerian girls who were abducted by Boko Haram. She's currently leading Hashtag Fix Politics uh, to develop a public leadership initiative in Africa to prepare girls for elective office. Um, what a pleasure to have um, the two wonderful women on the panel. Women leading in politics and public leadership is still very low. On our continent, it's about 23%. And so we're not doing that well yet at all. How quickly, therefore, can those of us that are here today um, quickly um, do the kinds of things and scale up the kinds of things uh, that you and Melinda are speaking about uh, and doing so that we can intentionally and skillfully uh, begin to um, mobilize the critical resources that are partnership, knowledge, and finance in order to scale the number of women whose barrier to entry into politics and public leadership have been removed. So we have greater success. Thank you, Obi. Mrs. Michelle, I think that's for you. The experience tells us that uh, uh, women who are, have the drive and the capacity to, to run for public uh, spaces, particularly at the top, they try to do it on their own with the efforts which they can be supported here and there. But there's no a common and agreed strategy amongst the African women to take this struggle collectively and to feel that it's upon us to create a space and strategies through which we will get in a significant way to those positions. So to be very specific, I propose, and I haven't spoken to my big sister, but I propose, you know, uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf has established a center, which is exactly to promote this kind of leadership for African women. My suggestion would be, you know, Obi, and all those who are interested in this, let Ellen convene us. Let us sit and bring to the table women who have been in positions of high politics, those who are, those who are aspiring to, and any other women who are interested for us really to devise a strategy which we can rally about it. Whether you are in Senegal or you are in Morocco or you are in Malawi, but for us to have a common tool through which we can define what is the first step, the second step, who do we count on, and we work together to make sure that we'll effect really a significant and visible transformation of African a political landscape, but trying to do one by one, according to your own resources, this machinery is very, very heavy, and it's very resistant to change. Only a movement which is organized can really step by step break it down and open the avenues which are required to, for women to be in a very significant way, as we are saying, half half. This is it. This is what we are aiming at. So I thought it would be very long for me to try to give a specific strategies of how to do it. I'm saying let's create a space, let's strategize, and let's have a tool around which we all rally and we work to convince men and women, okay, that yes, women are the ones who 
we have been waiting for to be at the deciding make i mean table in which they devise the table themselves they are not only called to join no we have to redesign the, the table together to make sure that we take ownership of what the transformation is going to look like. Thank you very much for that response, which I think is really spot on. Um, we have a question now for Melinda Gates. Um, we have, we're going to bring in Konyan Ajayi. Is Konyan there? Yep. Konyan is the managing partner of Oluwan Ajayi, a leading corporate law firm in Nigeria. Um, Konyan, please, um, please ask your question to Melinda. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And um, thank you for the good work you're both doing. A quick question. In a recent analysis published in the uh, Lancet Global Health, it is suggested that uh, uh, a reduction in maternal health services of between uh, 9.8 and 18 percent could lead to as many as 12,200 additional maternal deaths over six months in low and middle income countries. So my quick question, uh, based on that report, is um, what are the dynamics behind the scene that can be taken to decrease, um, that can lead to a decrease in the uptake of health services? And are there behavioral interventions or resources um, that could be deployed to ensure um, that women and children receive basic health care uh, that they require at this time. And the last one, last point, is um, taken from what you said in your opening statement about the lens uh, with which women refract things. How can we get society to see the lens that women use? Thank you. Thanks for your question. You know, as pertains to maternal health and child health during a crisis like this, as you're saying, just as Lancet says, this shadow pandemic that we, we're already seeing with COVID-19, some of the things we can do are, what I'm seeing in some of the more innovative uh, small health centers is they're, they're separating, which we're seeing all over the world. You try and separate your COVID-19 patients from your maternity ward, or you have a different door that the women come in. And where you may have had maternal services on one side before and child services on the other, you try and put those all in one place because a woman asking her to come in on Monday for one service and Tuesday for another service and Thursday for childhood vaccinations, that just doesn't work anymore. And so we need to think about the scheduling piece of it and the separation where you can, or if, if women are afraid to come in, how do you reach them where you are? How do you send the healthcare workers out, donned in appropriate PPE, and understand, you know, in home by home, who has, who has needs in terms of delivering babies, et cetera? The other thing I would say is family planning. We, see, we saw during the Ebola epidemic an enormous rise in teen pregnancy and unplanned births. I was just literally right before this on a video call with a young woman in Kenya who is surveying uh, youth groups in Kenya. They are absolutely seeing teen pregnancy already on the rise because of COVID-19. So continuing to counsel adolescent girls about their bodies 
in Niger, the young girls collectives have figured out who are already uh, gathering that they need to change their schedules so that fewer of them gather, but at different times of day, well-spaced, but they still learn about their bodies. They still learn about child spacing, planning of births. We know again from Ebola that the girls who were stayed in a girls collective during the time of Ebola actually had lower teen pregnancy rate than the girls who didn't. And, and lastly, I would say is, as we get through this COVID epidemic, making sure on the back end that we welcome girls back into school. We waive the school fees, which is what happened in Ghana. They waived both school and testing fees for two years. That pulls the young adolescent girls back in and again, allows them a chance to get educated and lift themselves out of poverty. Well, good. Well, thank you for sharing that response. I think, again, another piece of the much larger puzzle of the set of recommendations that we need to be considering in order to address women's issues. Um, we have a short session today, and so we have come to the end of it. Um, I'd like to take you through a summary of the specific policy recommendations that we've heard from these two women gleaned from the papers that they have written. Um, we would like to implore governments in Africa and around the globe to listen to their sage advice as it is universally relevant. We hope to inspire all on this call today to hold our leaders accountable and to play whatever role you can play in seizing this moment to effect change. In the US, we've seen that in this time, we've been reminded of the inequities faced by African Americans. And while the jury is still out with respect to long-term impact, there's been significant movement in a matter of weeks to address centuries-old issues. This can be an inspiration for what we want to do for women everywhere. And we can all ask to be a part of the movement to affect change for women in Africa. With that, I want to walk you through what I've heard today and read from these particular um, recommendations and papers. Times of unprecedented crisis present unique opportunities for unprecedented action. All the responses must take into account gendered impacts of COVID and be informed by the voices of women. Government and development partners must implement gender lens economic policies and sharpen the capacity of women as engines of economic growth. We need to invest in women along the local food chains to improve food security. We need to recognize and implement equal rights in the workplace. We need to narrow gender-based education gaps. And we need to strengthen health systems, gradually implement universal health coverage and provide mental health services needed as key strategies to the improvement of health systems and citizen well-being. Quite importantly, we need to comprehensively strengthen the criminal justice system and increase efforts around survivor support and protection. Leaders should use the pandemic as a forcing mechanism to integrate women's health care. We need to protect the contraceptive supply chain, which is crucial for women. We need to safeguard food systems against COVID-19 disruptions. We need to ensure that women are able to meet their basic needs and fully participate in their country's economic recoveries. We need to target stimulus funds at women by steering funds towards the businesses they own, and health workers on the front lines need tools to keep them safe. And lastly, one of the closing remarks in the Peace and Foreign Affairs is that we need to listen to the real experts. This is my summary of what we've heard from Grasa Michelle and from Melinda Gates and what we read in their papers. I'd like to thank again our sponsors, Standard Bank, FSDH, 
Maine One, TDB, Covington, and MasterCard. We also have a wonderful group of media partners who have helped us to publicize this event and do so every week. We invite you to return next week when we have Disruptions with Impact, the intersection of business and philanthropy, when Harvard Business School Professor Carolyn Elkins will be in conversation with Dr. James Mwangi, the group chief executive of the Equity Group. Thank you very much for being with us today, and we invite you to carry on the conversation on social media, hashtag virtualconferenceafrica.com. And please remember that the link to this webinar and all of the content that we've created over this series is available on the website, virtualconferenceafrica.com. This is Michelle Melinda Gates. Thank you very much for being with us today. <laughs>